After spending two episodes talking about Batman, I'm gonna shift to something entirely different and talk about Formula One because there's some shit going down right now and some of it is very interesting. Our story starts just over a week before I started writing this on 28th of July when four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel surprised the world by announcing his retirement from the sport at the end of 2022. This left his seat at the Aston Martin team open. Many speculated about who would fill it, but the conversation didn't last long as on the 1st of August, two-time champion Fernando Alonso announced he was leaving Alpine, the primary team of Renault, Alpine being a sports car brand owned by the Renault group, to fill Vettel's seat. The reasons weren't entirely obvious, Aston Martin being a generally slower team than Alpine right now, but there were definite factors, namely Oscar Piastri, reigning Formula 2 champion and part of Alpine's driver development programme. Piastri, who had in consecutive years won the Formula Renault Eurocup, the Formula 3 championship and the aforementioned Formula 2 championship, was seen as Alpine's next big driver and therefore the team wanted him to be in Formula 1 as soon as possible. It was already kind of controversial that he didn't find a seat for the current 2022 season. Piastri had been a sticking point for Alpine and Alonso, as put simply, he wanted to stay in F1 longer than Alpine were willing to give him a contract, with their ideal choice being to give him a contract for 2023 before he made way for Piastri. Alonso didn't want that, so went over to Aston Martin, who offered him a multiple year contract, which typically means two to three years in F1. Naturally, the assumption was that Oscar Piastri would fill this seat. He's Alpine's protege, he was always going to find his way into F1 eventually. It was a no-brainer. So, on the morning of the 2nd of August, Alpine announced Piastri as a driver for them in 2023. And then things start to get weird. Because that afternoon, Oscar Piastri, in politer terms, tweeted that Alpine was full of shit. He hadn't signed a contract with them, and wouldn't be driving for them. The following days have been awash with speculation until a reasonably clear picture has formed. Although official announcements haven't been made as writing, the idea is that Oscar Piastri will move to the British McLaren F1 team, replacing his fellow Australian Daniel Ricciardo, a reasonably successful driver in the past with eight race wins, who's come as high as third in the championship with Red Bull, but who struggled to get to grips with McLaren's cars both in 2021 and 22. Hard facts on what Ricciardo is going to be doing next don't exist yet. My personal speculation is he'll end up filling the vacant spot at Alpine, returning to the team he drove for from 2019 to 2020, when they were still Renault. Now I do have opinions on the situation as a fan. To paraphrase a Twitter thread I made recently, I have mixed feelings on the situation because on the one hand, I have an issue with how easily F1 teams weasel their way out of contracts, to the point where anything more than a one-year contract is basically meaningless as they can always find a way to get out of it. But I also can't disagree that the partnership between Ricardo and McLaren hasn't worked out too well. Apart from one victory last year at the Italian Grand Prix, he's fairly consistently underperformed compared to his teammate Lando Norris, and has never seemed entirely comfortable driving either of the cars McLaren have given him. But that isn't actually what I wanted to talk about today. What I actually want to talk about is how cross people on the internet are about the whole situation. Welcome to Miscellaneous Diversions. Part 1. Angry People on the Internet One of the key things you'll see looking at the F1 search term on Twitter right now is a lot of very cross people. The following are some choice tweets, or parts of tweets, I found directed at McLaren and its CEO, Zach Brown. I don't need therapy. 
I need to physically fight Zack Brun with a baseball bat. Zack Brown can suck a big, fat, sweaty, cheesy dick. <laughs> Fuck McLaren. Hope you choke on that. Papaya-colored shitbox. Just a friendly reminder to not hate on Oscar. The poor boy has done nothing but gone after opportunities. Zack Brun is the real villain here. That last one isn't quite as harsh, and I broadly agree with the point of not harassing Oscar Piastri over it, although the poor boy does seem like an oddly patronising way to describe a 21-year adult and professional athlete. But I just want to put it out there so you keep it in mind. Now, I want to clarify one thing before we start properly. I am aware that Twitter is a shithole. It isn't exactly groundbreaking to talk about how Twitter is, at this point, primarily designed to stir up argument, provoke outrage, and enable harassment. I am aware that because of that, it has a tendency to make issues look bigger than they are. A loud, angry, regularly tweeting minority hugely overwhelms a majority that doesn't have anything interesting to contribute, and isn't especially bothered by anything that's going on. And I am aware that, more than perhaps anything else, none of this matters in the long run. I do not, in fact, think that random Twitter users actually want to physically assault Zach Brown with a baseball bat. Because, and I say this as I talk about my favourite sport, F1 doesn't matter. The stuff I've gotten angry about doesn't matter, much as Abu Dhabi sucked, it absolutely isn't important in the grand scheme of things, it's still just sport. But I still think it's interesting to explore these emotions, if not the actual tweets. To explore what's gotten these people so riled up, and how it's been influenced by the way F1 has changed over the past few years. People like to get angry on the internet, that's been true for a long time, but you can't be angry at literally nothing. You can be angry at something that isn't real, or doesn't matter, but there's still technically something that you are angry about. Here it definitely seems to be Zach Brown, although I do think that's an oversimplification. I think Brown is a fairly public-facing person in terms of CEOs, and because of that I think he's become the representative of McLaren, which he kind of is, like it's kind of the CEO's job. So here I'll ask my first question. What has McLaren done wrong? And of course it feels like the question should a little bit be what has Zach Brown done wrong? The internet prefers to be angry at a person rather than an organisation. It makes it easier to be pissed off at an individual that doesn't require you to account for the nuanced structures in place that don't leave one individual with absolute power. McLaren has a CEO, yes, but it also has shareholders and sponsors and a whole management team, least of all team principal Andreas Seidel, all of whom will have discussed what they wanted to do about this situation. Simply put, the feeling is that they've betrayed or abandoned Daniel Ricciardo, that in carrying out this process they've thrown him to the curb unfairly. They especially feel this after the team has seemingly a few times over the past months confirmed its confidence in him. He's definitely been underperforming this year, I don't think anyone could argue otherwise in good faith, so there have been discussions about his future this whole time. But while there has been admissions from Brown et al that that's the case, the vibe has also been more we know we've got work to do than we're done with him. So I can see that especially with that context it's easy to draw the conclusion that they've turned on him and rejected him after saying they wouldn't. And you know in a sense they have. Absolutely a couple of months ago they did seem to be throwing their support behind Ricardo, they did seem to want to give him more time to prove he can make this work and now they're telling him they want him gone and are trying to buy him out of his contract. I do not actually think the situation is especially fair, I definitely feel bad for Ricardo, who seemed so intent on making this work and as I said I think the fact that contracts are able to be torn up so easily in F1 is a problem that could do with fixing. But at the same time it's not like the reality is the same now. Two months 
months ago, Vettel retiring was only speculation, and while there were mutterings of Alonso replacing him in such a situation, there were more mutterings that he would stay with Alpine, and even if he did leave Alpine, the likelihood was always that Piastri was going to fill that seat. It's a very different situation to support a driver when there aren't any realistic alternatives and you have to make it work, and you're still relatively early in the season, compared to a month or so later with over half the season gone, and when you're starting to realise you may have better options. Things change in F1 very quickly, and the sad reality is that those changes haven't worked to Ricardo's benefit this time. But the reality is that in this case, the issue isn't Zac Brown, or McLaren. It's F1, and furthermore, it's... <sighs> Okay, fine, it's capitalism, okay? The problem is capitalism. Part two, capitalism is the real villain here. F1 is expensive, very expensive. Expensive enough that for this year, they've put a cost cap on development and race operations for the teams, and that cap is still somewhere around $140 million per team. With some additional money recently added for inflation, I just can't find the numbers and I can't do maths. That's a lot of money. And for the bigger teams like Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, that's quite a bit lower than what they were spending per year before the cost cap came in. F1 cars cost a lot to build and a lot to run. F1 teams are big companies, and while they're not quite tipped over the billion mark yet, it's likely that relatively soon we'll see the first F1 team reach the point where it's worth a billion dollars. Teams are owned by massive corporations or shady billionaires or big investment firms. Point being, F1 is a business before anything else. They are there to race, yes, but the reason any of the people are funding it is that by racing, they make money. A and that sucks, absolutely, that sucks. I would much rather see a version of the sport with less capitalism. I'd like to see a version of the world with less capitalism, but I digress. But that's the nature of the sport, and it isn't any more or less true about McLaren and Zac Brown as it is about anyone else. The sad truth is if one of your drivers isn't performing as well as they need to, you're going to be less competitive and get less good race results, and if that happens, then you're going to come lower in the Constructors' Championship, and if that happens, you make less money. So if that first thing is true, then the sound business decision is to look for someone who you think is going to perform better. At the end of the day, cutting to the core of the issue, that's what happened here. It's not personal, it's not about loyalty, it's about money. Daniel Ricciardo hasn't performed as high as they want him to, which is unfortunately a contributing factor to McLaren slipping below Alpine in the table recently, although it's not the only factor. And they're looking elsewhere for someone who might be able to perform. The reality is, this situation isn't special. It's just how the sport works. Hell, that's true to the point where I almost feel hesitant to bring money into it at all. Yes, as it is now, the main bottom line for the people at the top of these teams is capitalistic in nature. As it is now, it is ultimately about money. But even if it wasn't, even if we were in a post-capitalist society where those factors don't exist, it's still a competitive sport. And if it was all about the sport and not at all about the money, teams would still want the highest performing drivers they can get, and if a given driver doesn't perform, then that's sort of all there is to it. So hopefully at this point I've outlined why I think the actual tangible situation here, in terms of the actual contracts and sporting side of this, isn't especially remarkable, and why this isn't actually the cruel personal betrayal that some online fans are framing it as. Again, that's not to say I like the situation, I'm a big fan of Ricardo and definitely a McLaren fan too, or though I confess that in terms of British teams I gravitate a little more towards Williams, I have a thing for underdogs. I wanted to see this partnership work, but that things have ended up the way they have isn't special, and it isn't any bigger a slight than any other similar situation in the past. 
To tell another F1 story, a similar situation played itself out in 2020. Mexican driver Sergio Perez, then driving for the Racing Point team, now Aston Martin, had a contract signed for the next two years, but had that contract cut short as the team signed Sebastian Vettel. I didn't like this at the time, and in a lot of ways it was even more egregious. Where Ricardo has unarguably been underperforming compared to his teammate, and hasn't finished on the podium outside of his win at Monza, Perez beat his teammate Lance Stroll in every race that season, and had been on the podium the week before his departure was announced and would go on to score another podium and an unlikely race win through the rest of the season. And if you're wondering why said teammate wasn't the one who lost out to Vettel, his dad owns the team. And things worked out well for Perez in that situation. After leaving Racing Point, he found his way into a vacant Red Bull seat and is now a top competing driver. But it doesn't make the situation okay. But my point is, this stuff happens in F1. So the question now becomes, what's led to all this fuss. Partially I do think it's just circumstance. As I've explained, the past week's news has come hard and fast. Vettel announced his retirement less than 24 hours after telling Aston Martin he was leaving. Alpine learned about Alonso's departure from Aston Martin's press release, and when they released their statement saying Piastri was driving for them, his manager, former F1 driver Mark Webber, was in Australia asleep, and no one expected Piazzi to straight out tweet that it was bullshit. The whole thing has turned into a massive chaotic mess, and that makes every bit of it look worse, and has put McLaren into a position where talks that probably would have happened quietly in the background have suddenly become very loud. In an ideal world, one where people had been given fair warning about everything, I imagine the process would have been much simpler. Better would announce his retirement, Alonso would be signed to replace him and inform Alpine of this. Alpine would take time to actually ask Piastri before signing him, and in the end would realise they had to look elsewhere. On the other end, Ricardo would have been told that McLaren wanted to buy him out of his contract without the Aston, Alpine, Alonso madness hanging over their heads. They'd quietly agree a payout and he'd start looking elsewhere. In this case, the likely order would probably be number one, Vettel's retirement, number two, Alonso to Aston, number three, Ricardo fills his spot at Alpine, number four, Piastri fills his seat at McLaren. There'd have been some speculation about what happened between Piastri and Alpine, there'd be rumours, but ultimately it would have been much more diplomatically organised. Similar situations have happened before. Last year's silly season, as they call it, involved Kimi Raikkonen retiring, leaving his Alfa Romeo seat to be taken by Valtteri Bottas, whose Mercedes seat was taken by George Russell, whose Williams seat was taken by Alex Albon. That's the order things were announced, but it probably wasn't really what happened. Russell moving to Mercedes would have been the starting point here, Bottas being effectively dropped for Mercedes' protege, who was always going to find his way into the main team at some point. The empty Alfa Romeo seat was kind of just luck, but the announcements were able to be structured to make it look nicer for everyone. It was pitched as Bottas moving on to take a new challenge, not being pushed out of his seat for the young star. If a similar situation played out, no one would be this angry, I'm fairly certain of that. But I do think there's more to it, because messy rumours and announcements give people an excuse, but they don't actually make people care, so why do they care? Part 3. The F1 Fandom my relationship to F1 is very long-standing. My dad's been a fan since he was a kid, so it was always part of my life growing up. Though the memories are vague, I can just barely remember hearing about Lewis Hamilton winning his first championship in 2008 and was probably half-watching the Brazil Grand Prix when it happened. I remember more about the 2009 season, which I generally consider my first season of F1, and to this day I consider the story of Braun GP to be possibly the greatest season of the sport that I've watched. My interest would dip in and out over the following years as I didn't really have the attention span to watch whole races when I was younger, 
but I always paid some attention to it. I'd dip out a little more during uni purely because I had no way to watch the races when I was in Winchester. It was in 2020 after I was back home full time and as an adult better able to focus on things that I had time to pay attention again and absolutely fell in love with it. It probably also helps that now I'm better equipped to understand the technical aspects which as someone who's always been something of a tech nerd is definitely a part of why I'm so drawn to it compared to other sports. And in that time the popularity of F1 has exploded and a large part of that is demonstrably due to Netflix's documentary series Formula One Drive to Survive. And I think that's great. You always want more people to be watching the things you love and on the flip side, the raised profile probably has a lot to do with the sport's recent pushes towards improving for the better. From its commitments to becoming more sustainable, to its outspoken support through 2020 and 2021 for social justice movements, it's given drivers such as Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel more space to speak on the issues they care about, allowing them the platform to be powerful activists for racial justice, climate change, LGBTQ plus issues. It's still got its problems, just as often as it's praised for these things, it's accused of sports washing through its events in countries like Saudi Arabia, but I also think it's making clear progress and that progress is encouraged by more people watching it. It's also, of course, meant that the drivers themselves have become more popular. And here we start to see the interactions between an old sport like F1 and a new phenomenon like internet fandom. Because absolutely, people have always been fans of F1 drivers, but the way people are fans of things now, any things, has changed a lot with the rise of social media. Communities form easier and the subjects of those communities are able to interact with them on a much deeper level. Teams have YouTube channels and TikTok accounts where the drivers are able to put forward their personalities on a much broader level than in the 90s when all you saw from drivers was either on track or in interviews. It's changed those personalities too. Where the drivers of the 2000s were rock stars, elite celebrities within these circles, people like Michael Schumacher, Fernando Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen, even the slightly younger drivers like Hamilton and Vettel, the younger generation of drivers are closer to influencers because that's just sort of what celebrities are now. And like, it's an age thing as well. These younger drivers, Lando Norris, George Russell, Charles Leclerc, they're my age. Yuki Tsunoda was born this century. They've grown up with social media in the same way that a lot of their fans have. So it makes sense that a lot of them have taken to that influencer vibe so easily. And in the middle of the two, you find drivers like Ricardo, who came in a little after that old guard, but way before this young crop of stars. And there's more variation there. There's definitely a mix of what side of this spectrum they fall on. Sergio Perez, Valtteri Bottas, they're not quite rock stars, but they're definitely closer to that side than the influencer side. From where I'm standing though, Daniel Ricardo's gone the other way. Don't get me wrong, he's not as involved as your Norris's and Russell's. He's not a straight out Twitch streamer, but he's definitely taken very naturally to the person based type of F1 celebrity. And it's no surprise, he comes across as funny and genuine and he's famously almost never not smiling. He says weird stuff like... Tripping major nutsack right now. Or... I'm a high performance athlete. Athletes sweat. Sweat baby. Sweat, sweat. He's great. He's also, helpfully for him, been one of the drivers with the most focus on Drive to Survive, probably for a lot of these reasons. He's a great on-screen personality. He's also been one of the more exposed drivers in the media, especially the US media. He's been on The Daily Show and his friendship with Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell means he's been on Shepard's very popular podcast, I believe, multiple times. So with all of that, he's naturally cultivated a pretty big fandom. And I use that word very deliberately. Every driver has a fan base. He's one with an honest to God fandom. And it's here we have to start talking about parasocial relationships. If you haven't either spent way too much time watching lefty YouTube essays, or got an A-level in psychology, or aren't unfortunate enough to fit into both categories like I do, 
This may be a new concept. Effectively, it's a one-sided relationship with a figure who more or less doesn't know you exist, but who you, in a sense, feel like you know. And yes, that does basically describe every fanbase. It comes up a lot in terms of how we interact with celebrities, and it isn't a remotely new concept. The term in theory was developed as far back as the 50s. It's just as present in Beatlemania in the 60s as it is with Twitter K-pop stands in 22. It is, for the most part, totally normal. It is a natural and valid form of relationship that most humans form in some way. It is inherently neutral. There can even be some really positive aspects to it. Certainly a good role model can be beneficial for people, and it's not even always real people. We form parasocial relationships with fictional characters too. And there's some evidence that suggests that because of this seeing diverse characters allowing people to form these relationships with them can actually make people more tolerant. But that isn't to say it's always healthy. When you feel like you know a person, you start to put expectations on them. You expect certain things of your friends. There are certain things that if they did, you'd probably be really upset. If a friend hurt your feelings, maybe you'd lash out at them. And if that friend doesn't know who you are? Well, history tells us that the emotional reaction to feeling betrayed by them isn't too different. And it gets messy on the other side, quite rightly, a natural human urge is to protect your friends. Such as, for example, when an athlete you feel is your friend in that parasocial way gets a little bit pushed to the curb by his team because he hasn't been performing as well as they'd like. And his fans on Twitter call for his boss's head. Part 4. Daniel Ricardo isn't your friend. The thing about a series like Drive to Survive is that documentary is perhaps a little simplistic. In my opinion, it's somewhere between a documentary and a reality TV show. It doesn't just present situations and facts, it presents, and allegedly, occasionally, sometimes, slightly fabricates, narratives, character arcs, stories. And Daniel Ricciardo is a character it spends a lot of time on. It wouldn't be hard to argue that Ricciardo is the closest the show has to a protagonist. It focuses on other storylines, sure, but it's often situations or whole teams. He's one of the only individuals who gets a significant amount of focus across seasons. People generally like their protagonists. It's how stories function, and while it isn't mandatory, I hope a lot of people don't come out of, say, American Psycho liking Patrick Bateman, it is most common. And again, that's fine. That's how the show is structured. It isn't doing anything wrong here. But when you're talking about real people who exist outside of the show, that mindset seems to stick around. Again, Drive to Survive and Ricardo's pseudo-protagonist role is, I think, a big part of why he's so popular in particular. Arguably the most popular driver on the grid in terms of these fandom spaces. But if you see someone as a protagonist, how do you suppose you're going to start seeing anyone who appears to be in opposition to him? Here, I'm going to bring back that last tweet from earlier. The one that wasn't especially hateful, and other than being a little patronising to Oscar Piastri, wasn't especially offensive. The one that ends with the phrase, Zach Brown is the real villain here. Hopefully you can see where I'm going with this. By viewing Ricardo as the protagonist of F1, anyone whose wants, needs or motivations are opposed to him are going to naturally be framed as antagonist. And most of the time that means villain and comes with a lot of other narrative baggage. An antagonist is often selfish in comparison to a more virtuous hero. What the hero wants is often more objectively moral than what the antagonist wants. But as I hope I argued earlier, there's nothing out of the ordinary in this situation. Apart from the anti-capitalist in me wishing that the bottom line wasn't money, none of this decision-making process feels especially villainous. Ricardo isn't performing as high as McLaren want him, it's affecting their ability to compete with their rivals this season, so they've decided that the best decision, both from a base sporting perspective 
perspective and that connective financial incentive is to spend the money to buy him out of his contract and sign someone else. Zach Brown, team principal Andreas Seidel, anyone else involved, they're just doing their job. Make McLaren as strong as they can possibly be. Some of the messaging surrounding it has been a little mixed, sure, but that isn't largely McLaren's fault. If they could have done this in a way which wasn't so public, I think they would have. You don't talk openly about early contract conversations, you don't see Alpine fans acting like this towards Fernando Alonso and he's fairly objectively screwed them over in a much colder and more concrete way than McLaren have Ricardo. What I think is making a difference here is that fandom and those parasocial relationships people have formed with Ricardo, they're not viewing this as people working in an industry that just can be a little cutthroat, with conflicting motivations, making rational decisions based on what allows them to do their job to the best of their ability. They're viewing this as something bad happening to their friend, an antagonist getting a victory over their favourite protagonist. So they're defending that friend, fighting their corner, and they're cheering for that protagonist. And a lot of them are doing it in very angry ways. They're viewing this through the lens of a story, which I get, the narrative aspects are part of what I love about F1, but this is still real life. In real life, a sports team wanting to get the strongest lineup they can get, even if it means leaving behind someone else, doesn't make them supervillains. It makes them professionals. I would here be remiss not to finish up by mentioning that it isn't just McLaren and Zac Brown who get this treatment, it isn't just Ricardo's fans. In researching this episode and more generally looking through F1 Twitter, I found a lot of incredibly angry, personal, vicious comments directed at or about former F1 race director Michael Massey as a result of the huge screw-ups that occurred in the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I will lay my cards out clearly here. I was incredibly frustrated over what happened there. I wrote a very long angry thread about it on the day. Massey was, in my opinion, right to lose his job because you cannot make a mistake like that at that point in the championship, effectively deciding the entire year's competition and not get pushed out. But some of the tweets I've seen directed at Massey and others who have taken a more diplomatic approach to the events are despicable. I wasn't going to mention this here, but I decided this paragraph needed to be added after I saw this tweet. Scum. Human detritus. All involved, including not only FIA minions, but also the media shills like Buxton and Chandok, who've gaslighted F1 fans and run interference for the 2021 Abu Dhabi race and WDC fixes and thieves should be mocked, jeered and pilloried wherever they go. No mercy. This is about a motor race. I want to get back to this point. This is just sport. It was frustrating and I can definitely see why it would be hard to accept for Hamilton, a driver who absolutely deserved that championship given how dominant he was in that deciding race. I still, after all of it has been hashed out by the FIA, find it very difficult to see Max Verstappen as a legitimate world champion. Although I'm thoroughly expecting him to win this year and that's a very different story. But having this kind of response to a sport, directing this kind of hate at people who you will more than likely never meet is fucking weird and it's not healthy. I'll repeat something I've already said. I get it. I'm a fan of Ricardo. I want to see him at a good established team performing well and succeeding. I was excited when he signed for McLaren to see a driver like him competing for such an established, historically successful team. I hoped we'd see him push them back up towards the front of the grid. I may not be involved in the heavier fandomy side of things, but I am absolutely not immune to that parasocial aspect and I absolutely feel a bit of that parasocial sympathy for the guy. I'm not making this episode to convince anyone necessarily. While making my point has required defending McLaren's decision to some extent, I'm not hugely happy with it either. And I think it's fine if you'd prefer him to stay there. I do think that it's a fairly unremarkable situation. I don't think there's anything to get particularly angry about, but it's also not why I'm here. 
With media criticism, I am fascinated with exploring why we react to certain things in certain ways. My Batman episodes were about just that, not arguing why Batman is good or bad, but exploring why I feel the way about it that I do. That is ultimately what I wanted to explore here, even if I've gone into some extra context to get there. I saw these tweets and many others like it, or ones that were less angry but still held similar sentiments about the people involved, and I found it fascinating. Here we have this messy but not unprecedentedly so situation that when you cut away the chaos is ultimately nothing more than a team probably buying a driver out of his contract to replace him, and the perception of some people online is that a villainous antagonistic force has cruelly stabbed an innocent man in the back, betraying his trust and throwing him to the worms. That's why I brought up that tweet again, even though it's one of the less angry ones I've found. Even though it's not really about the situation as much as it is just saying, this isn't Piastri's fault so don't harass him. Because Zach Brown is the real villain here is, to me, that reaction distilled into its basic form. A boring contract dispute and presumed payout turned into a battle between good and evil. It's not new in fandom in general, plenty of other fandoms have had similar situations. Maybe it's because this is a fandom more grounded in real life things, that it's not a story but a sport with real people that makes it more interesting. Certainly I do find the phenomenon of how little difference there is between how some interact with fictional characters and real world celebrities interesting. Writing this has given me the horrifying realisation that F1 real person fix absolutely exists. And I find parasocial relationships as a concept interesting. It was one of the things I remember the most about from A-Level Psychology. F1 is relatively new to this kind of fandom interaction. It's relatively new to this kind of fandom full stop. So I think it's worthwhile to bring up these situations and discuss them. This one hasn't really had any kind of meaningful effect. It isn't going to affect McLaren's decision. And that passionate, engaged, capital F fandom still isn't big enough that even enough people for a meaningful harassment campaign. Zach Brown isn't super present on Twitter past general posting when he's at races kind of things. None of this matters. I said that right up top, none of this matters. I don't see this having any meaningful positive or negative effects on anyone. McLaren is still going to probably sign Piastri and he's probably going to do a pretty good job. Ricardo is still more than likely going to find his feet at another team and be an F1 for a good few more years and hopefully be able to find somewhere he can thrive in a way that I know he's capable of. But F1 is going to keep growing and the fandom is going to keep growing and people are going to get more invested in individual drivers and one day another situation like this is going to happen all over again. In my counselling course self-awareness is one of the main things we're taught to develop. Why do we react to situations in the way we do? Why do we have the opinions that we have? It's crucial in that field but it's important everywhere and if there's any point to this essay it's that. To explore why this situation has happened in the way it has, to hopefully gain better awareness of how it develops and hopefully when something like this happens in the future, try and avoid it spinning out of control before someone does experience a meaningfully negative effect from it. So to sum it up, McLaren haven't betrayed anyone, Zach Brown is not the real villain here, and Daniel Ricciardo isn't your friend. Now we just get to sit back and see what nonsense happens next in the silliest silly season I can remember. At this rate I'm putting money on Max Verstappen to Williams. I want to give a huge thanks to a couple of friends of mine who've contributed tweet readings to this. Uh, I couldn't have done this, well I could have done this without you, but it was much more fun doing it with you. I've got a little bit more time hopefully over the next month or so, so I'm hoping to get at least one more episode out relatively soon. Don't know what it will be yet, but I'm going to do it. So I hope you enjoyed. I will see you again soon, hopefully.